3: this
4: is the tom hartman program
5: well it's a beautiful day it's a wonderful day it's a it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood yeah uh you don't want to hear me sing you really don't want to hear me sing anyway welcome back to the tom hartman program Ah, a weight is lifted. A literal madman is no longer in charge of America's nuclear arsenal. I mean, just let that sink in. A literal fulminating racist is no longer in charge of the police apparatus of our nation. A man who is clearly, clearly, has put the interests of foreign governments—Russia, Saudi Arabia, China, it, you name it—ahead right ahead of the interest of the United States, Turkey. Erdogan said, hey, I want to slaughter the Kurds in, in uh, northern Syria, you know, right on the border with southern Turkey, because he's got a bunch of Kurds in southern Turkey that he wants to kill, too. Would you please move your troops out of the way? And Trump is like, yeah, sure, we'll pull the troops out. Remember that when the Kurds were like giving us the finger and shaking their fists at us because we were deserting them. And then sure enough, Erdogan's troops came in from Turkey and slaughtered them, men, women and children. All because he told Donald Trump to let him do it. And Trump said, yes, sir. And you know why? Because Erdogan, Erdogan said this in public. He said it in a newspaper interview. He threatened Trump with taking away his two hotels, his twin towers in Turkey. And for that, Trump stabbed the Kurds in the back. But in any case, we we have an actual madman, an actual racist, an actual agent of foreign governments or friend of foreign governments and enemy of the United States in the White House for four years, and it's over. (laughs) It's a good day for me. Anyway, I'm going to pick up, we'll pick up your phone calls here. We're just all kind of decompressing and and discovering our new America. Daryl in Norcross, Georgia. Hey, Daryl, what's on your mind? Tom, real
6: quick. Uh, Please, please tell me. I'm an attorney, and I also teach in uh, Georgia. And please tell me why can't Congress just change the Bankruptcy Act to allow students to just discharge student loans in bankruptcy court. It is the only thing that is not dischargeable. Also, I don't want to... Well, let right me now. just answer your question, Daryl.
5: Hang on, before before you move along. Yes. You are absolutely right, and that's an absolutely brilliant point, and I should have included it in my rant. That that provision that bans student loans from being discharged in bankruptcy was inserted in 2005, at, yes. and I am not. I don't frankly recall who did it, but this was the Bankruptcy Reform Act of 2005 that George W. Yes. Bush enthusiastically signed, and, and sadly, there were a few Democrats who were on that, too. There were some, some actual improvements in bankruptcy law, but th- th- that was a huge step backwards, and it could be reversed with a very simple piece of legislation, and we should all be lobbying for it. Back to you, Daryl.
6: Real quick, and thank you so much for that. And I'll call back. We'll talk about this more about that, but I don't want to forgive right now. I know what Biden is saying. That's all good, but, Tom, when you have an, an infection, you, you, you have to clean the infection out before it heals. That's what we have to do. People have to go to jail.
5: Yeah, I completely agree with you, Daryl. And Angela in New York City. Hey, Angela, what's on your mind today?
0: Uh, The one thing I keep thinking of, I came of age in the 80s, 40 years, my whole life, you know, it's been this. We Mm -hmm. have a nation of Gordon geckos out there. We have to loosen the grip of the billionaires and the corporations. You have to clean out the infection before it starts to heal. How do we get back to a system where we can restore the middle class?
5: Um, Mm -hmm. Number one, you reverse 40 years of multiple tax cuts that have allowed the rich to get super rich super fast and have made it, frankly, more difficult. Because, you know, Reagan raised taxes on working people 18 times. He cut taxes on billionaires, I believe it was seven times. Uh, you know, George W. Bush raised taxes on working people, cut taxes on billionaires. Donald Trump's one and a half trillion dollar tax cut for billionaires uh, that went into place in 2017, actually from 2021, this year, until 2029, every single year, raises taxes on people making less than $70,000 a year to help pay for it, in quotes. We just need to reverse that tax policy. That, that would be the beginning point. And then the second part to bring back a middle class would be to uh, undo 40 years of anti-union policy, both at the Labor Department, legislatively, and to reverse a, a series of Supreme Court decisions. Back to you.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. That is it's quite a wish list, and, 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 and I agree completely. But the thing that's really been—that uh, I've noticed in the past 30 years uh, is that um, people are voting against their own interests. They have been—you mm. know, as you've seen, I mean, we still had 74 million people vote for Trump. They consistently do this. It's almost like there's, there's no activism anymore. And that's what bothers me. There's nobody out—there's no lobby— That's helping people like me who are being crushed by student debt. There's nothing happening. And I feel like it's because people have sort of been, you know, hammered down and it's this doggy dog, you know, everybody's out for themselves. And we really have to, we have to start from scratch. We have to start from scratch. We need people who are organizers. We need people who are gonna educate people and let them know that they don't have to live like this. Because right now, I'm getting texts from family members who are telling me oh the communists are taking over and and, I, and these are people who don't oh, you know we're mid, middle class and i'm i'm saying to them what do you mean by that
5: the problem that you're describing, what's causing this problem, is that you have a, an Australian billionaire who did this to Australia, then moved to the United Kingdom, yeah. did it to the United Kingdom, and now came to the United States, this billionaire, Rupert Murdoch, and started Fox News. These people are watching Fox News. You've got a billionaire-owned network with people who are multi-multi-millionaires. Sean Hannity's a multi-multi-millionaire. Bill Riley, all these you know, all these guys on Fox News, men and women on Fox News, they're, they're multi-millionaires. And they are indoctrinated average people and particularly mm-hmm. seniors on social security that they mm-hmm. need to vote and think in the way that is of greatest maximum benefit to billionaires like Rupert Murdoch and multimillionaires like Sean Hannity and that's the problem
7: we need to fix that How do
5: we fix it? Yeah, we do need to fix that. You know, I don't have an easy answer for how to fix it. But I think that, you know, telling your friends, you are listening to a television network that is owned by a billionaire that has a bunch of multimillionaire hosts on it telling you how to vote. Do you think that they're going to tell you, you know, give you the straight story? Do you really think that? (laughs) Angela, I got to run. But thank you for the call. That was a great one. Charles in Miami. Hey, Charles, what's up? As far
3: as the risk taking more and... uh, I'm the middle class and people, you know, just going into poverty. But how much did uh, Robin Leach? I got like three or four questions for you, if you, don't mind. But how much of an impact do you think that Robin Leach changed our culture during Reaganomics? Because at that point, 10 years old, looking at the TV for the first time and looking at all of these people with all of this money, and I could see how. You're talking
5: the uh, TV show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous?
3: Yes, I am. And the impact he had on our culture at that time. Um, also, do the Joint Chiefs, do they get a pass on not seeking justice for the insurrection from this Trump cabinet? Because some, um, if, I think Bill Barr knew about it. I think the rest of the cabinet got wind of what was going to go down on January 6th, and no one is talking about that.
5: Number one, yes, Robin Leach had a huge impact on America. That show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, captured the zeitgeist of the Reagan era. Let's celebrate great wealth. That was the essence of the show. That was the essence of the Reagan presidency. That's real. Yeah, And Dynasty, too. I mean, you had all those TV shows at that time that were all just celebrating very powerful rich people as if these are our new role models and icons. And there's still an echo of that. You know, uh, billionaires are still treated like royalty. Okay, the Joint Chiefs, do they, do they oh, get a yeah, plan? No, well, the they Joint pass? Chiefs are the, are the guys who run the military. Um, right. The Cabinet are the people who run all the various agencies. One of them is the Secretary of Defense, but he's not in the Joint Chiefs. I think the Joint Chiefs have actually been the ones who kind of held the ground. It was Mark Milley, who was uh, the, the, uh, the, the chair of the Joint Chiefs, or whatever his official title is, was the guy who said that he was ashamed that he had walked out to uh, what is now Black Lives Matter Square in front of the White House there with Trump, you know, with the tear gas and everything. This was Bill Barr's order to make this happen, to clear the crowd, you know, violently. Trump, I think at one point, I think around the time of the election itself, Trump actually believed that he could get the military to go along with him and pull off a military coup. And Milley and, and some of the other members of the, of the Joint Chiefs made it very clear, no, that ain't going to happen, because those are all people who work their way up through the military. They are not political appointees. The Secretary of Defense, was a whole nother thing, and some of his other appointees, a whole nother thing, and I, I you know, Congress right now is looking into whether those people had something to do with the lack of deployment of the National Guard or any other kind of you know protective force to the Capitol. Um, I, it was just some some really skeezy stuff going on there. Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin, what's up?
8: I'm responding to your. Um part of your program yesterday where you had put together three wonderful goals for us to kind of uh, look forward to to change our society positively education health care green New deal yeah yes and so I agree with all of those however I have a different set of priorities I, I kind of focus on things on how to get things elected and how to get bills put together and a lot of it has to do with the voter turnout so I'm going to just say two things that I have that came out of the uh, 2020 general and then the special election in Georgia. One is it appears that the Achilles heel of the Republicans is voting by mail. So I really think we should, as a nation, coalesce to figure out how we can um, expand that all across the country, because as soon as the pandemic is gone, I will guarantee you the Republicans are going to get rid of the whole process of you know. Oh, they're already—they've already started,
5: Robin. They, yeah, there are there are bills in state legislatures right now as we speak to end vote by mail or to restrict vote by mail to those people who you know have a doctor's permission and stuff like that. It's nuts. And and here in Oregon, 20 years ago, we went to vote by mail, and it and and our voter compliance went up, you know, by about 10 percent. I mean, it's amazing. We've got one of the best response yeah. rates in the country. Yeah, I, I'm with you. We need to be pushing this, and we need to be pushing it hard at the national level, and that's part of HR1, I believe. I've got to check out the new reinvented hr1 but you know making it much easier so i'm with you totally robin god bless you that's that's it is an important important issue
4: you're listening to tom hartman visit tom hartman.com for audio and video
5: archives because as republicans have been saying ever since paul wayrick laid it out in 1980 you know uh the the more the voter populace goes down the more republicans win This just hit the very top of BBC News, you can see it at bbc.com, article by James Gallagher. New UK variant may be more deadly. The Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, just said, quote, in addition to spreading more quickly, it now appears that there is some evidence that the new variant, the variant that was first identified in London in the Southeast, may be associated with a higher degree of mortality. It's largely the impact of this new variant that means the NHS is under such intense pressure. And then he he goes on to say, I want to stress there's a lot of uncertainty around these numbers. We need more work to get a precise handle on it. But it obviously is a concern that this has an increase in mortality as well as an increase in transmissibility. And then the next sentence, this is from the British Broadcasting Corporation, BBC. The new variant appears to be around 30% more deadly. Wow. Be careful. I mean, if there was ever a time to be careful, now is the time. Martha in Apache Junction, Arizona. Hey, Martha, what's on your mind today?
7: The BBC report that the virus might be 30 percent more deadly. If you read the article inside the article, they say they really don't know. But if you listen to Fauci's press conference yesterday at the White House, he says that the thing that makes it more deadly likely is not that it's on a more deadly on a one-to-one basis, it's that it may cause more hospitalizations. And so now that Fauci is has, is unmuzzled, we have to listen to the press reports because the press is not gonna cover these
9: things.
5: Boris Johnson said, and there's multiple reports about this out now, what Boris Johnson said is that they're looking at statistics from the National Health Service in the United Kingdom. It turns out when Trump came into office, Every hospital in the United States was required to submit their daily statistics on, you know, mortality, and morbidity. To the Centers for Disease Control that compiled those statistics and published them. Somewhere along, as I recall, it was around May or June of last year, Donald Trump ordered the CDC to stop collecting that information and gave a a multi-million dollar contract to a private corporation that was heavily in with a bunch of Republican senators to gather that information. That private corporation has completely screwed up this job. And the data now is running two and three weeks behind. spotty, it's sketchy, it's irrelevant. That's something, by the way, that the Fauci pointed out yesterday in his press conference. So we don't have good statistics here in the United States. So we don't know if it's deadlier or, or not. But in the United Kingdom, where everyone in the country is covered by the same health care system that does compile daily statistics, what they are finding is that the people who are coming into the NHS hospitals with this variant are 30% more likely to die. And as it says in the article, so I think that, you know, I'm not asserting that it's 30% more deadly. And Fauci's point yesterday is absolutely correct. If it's more contagious, you're going to get more cases. If you have more cases, even if if the same percentage die as an an absolute number, you're going to have more deaths. But it looks like the, the data out of the UK, which has some of the best data in the world, The data out of the UK indicates that not only is it more contagious, but it's also more deadly. Um, You know, let's wait a week or so and let all this data shake out, but I don't think that the Prime Minister of Great Britain would go on national television and inform his citizens of this if he wasn't pretty damn close to sure of it or sure of it. And everybody's putting in these caveats, as you always do with science, you know, we haven't done the, the double, triple, quadruple testing. But I'm pretty freaked out about it, Jonathan, and I think, you know, we all need to be very very careful not to get this damn disease. Andy in Minneapolis. Hey Andy what's up?
9: Last summer I just had the motivation to watch actually Robin Leach's Lifestyle and the Rich and Famous on YouTube and there was an episode on Adan Kasoji, who was at the time they they claimed he was worth 10 billion dollars in about 1984 and there was a Mm -hmm. segment on the show that I thought was very fascinating and and then putting that in the context today for one 350 average-sized homes would be able to be built, 1984 with that $10 billion of net worth, which could house about you know up to 2 million people. You know, in other countries, and third world countries, that could include clothing and shelter for 10 million people for one year. Or it could, just as far as the corporations are concerned, McDonald's was worth about $10 billion then. Well, when you look today, they're worth $120 billion. So the inflation doesn't really match up. So it really puts a lot in the context of what's happened over the last, what, this is what, 35, 40 years, since that episode. And I think that last yeah. caller who talked about lifestyle, the rich and famous really has hit the nail on the head on what that's done to our culture.
5: Yeah, that was Charles. I don't remember the city he was in, but yes, I'm with you. And and like I said, that it wasn't like that show did it. What that show did and other shows, Dynasty and the other thing that happened, to Andy, that I thought was really, really fascinating was... TV shows in general changed in the 1980s, and, and you'd have to ask somebody who's probably over 60 to be able to, you know, or maybe over 50 anyway, to be able to tell you about this. but. Prior to the Reagan presidency, when you looked at, like Louise and I were watching an old rerun of Golden Girls last night, they live in a a normal suburban home. You know, this was early on. This was early in the 80s. But after the Reagan presidency, it was no longer, you know, Rob and Laura's house in New Rochelle or, uh, you know, Lucy and uh, Ricky living in a third floor walk up in New York City. It was now people were living in multi million dollar houses. And it's like the whole the whole zeitgeist changed. We, we started celebrating wealth in a big way. Uh, you, you know, that affects people. people. People are affected by, you know, thinking that, oh, these are the people that I should emulate, or this is, this is what is normal. Apparently, I'm not normal. I'm just average, uh, you know, American kind of thing. And it has an impact. It has a real impact on people. So yeah, that, I
9: agree. That, one, yeah. It, well,
3: one thing too yeah. it,
9: it, with yeah. reality right. TV—that's another big change. And I just wonder, you know, what what cultures from the 80s and then the 2000s as well.
5: Yeah, that would be a good—that would be an interesting study. I mean, reality TV largely came about as a result of the writers' strike, but it turned into its own genre too, with Donald Trump being one of its superstars. Andy, thanks a lot for the call. figure lending LLC DBA figure equal opportunity lender NMLS 1717824 terms and conditions apply visit figure.com for more information for licensing information go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org Winston in Ormstead Beach Florida hey Winston what's up
8: the reason I, I called was about these names that people called uh, each other, and I noticed that when they tore the Capitol up, they went to the bathroom in the, uh, in the hallways and put fetus on the walls. To me, I don't know why they don't the news people didn't call them like barbaric people. These are barbarians mm. that, that did all this stuff. They're supposed to be so wonderful for Trump. But, you know, what a barbaric thing to do. You know, I mean, these people need to be called out what they really are. I'm with you. And and, and I thought
5: that part of it didn't get anywhere near enough coverage. And I guarantee you, had that crowd been black or Hispanic, that would have been the principal storyline. You know, yes, is, absolutely. You know <laughs> yeah. look at what happens when you let these people out loose, And and of course, because I mean, this is just another example of white privilege, Winston. It really is. Winston, thanks for the call. It's a good one. Margie in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Hey, Margie, what's up?
1: Hey, Tom, just remember that prior to the 1980s, the ultra wealthy on TV was portrayed as deviants and wing nuts and insane. Yeah, Mr. Think Potter. Of the Munsters. Think of the Adams family, even the Beverly Hillbillies, where the only sane, nice person in there was Jane Hathaway, who was the receptionist. Even Gilligan's Island, the billionaires were the bumbling idiots.
5: You're right. You're absolutely right. And everything changed with the Reagan administration. And suddenly the billionaires became the masters of the universe and the strong and the smart and all that kind of nonsense. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for that, Margie. Fred in Naples, Florida. Hey, Fred, what's on your mind today?
10: Uh, you mentioned, uh, well, you were talking about global warming. And the other day, mm-hmm. you mentioned one word thing about animal
5: agriculture. Uh, yeah.
10: Agriculture for global warming. Now, mm-hmm. we go on and on and on about carbon, which will take 20 years to correct anything at least. With methane, if we change our eating habits, we can change that tomorrow. You're right. Because methane That's why is I so wrong.
5: Methane is 80 times more potent a greenhouse gas than is carbon dioxide. It lasts, the average half-life of methane is around 20-25 years in the atmosphere before it breaks down to carbon dioxide and water vapor. It does contain carbon. Uh, Ronald Reagan made jokes about cow farts, but it's a real thing. And it's uh, not, and cow it's not farts, just cow,
10: cow farts, belches.
5: Yeah, belches. Thank you. You know, if you're a meat eater, fine. You know, you, I'm not telling you how to eat, but uh, if you cut back on the amount of meat you eat with any meal in which you eat it, you know, and instead of eating a quarter pound of a steak, eat it three ounces of a steak, uh, number one, or number two, cut it back so that you're having, you know, start with meatless Mondays, then meatless Monday, Wednesday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and eventually you might get to just, you know, meat on one or two days a week as a special treat or something like that. It will have an impact on the environment it's something we can all be doing
10: well yes but with citizens united that prevents people from talking about the beef production because you go to jail well, if you hurt that. the profits
5: yeah it's not it, yeah you're talking about the ag gag laws that have been passed in in about half the states you know laws where it's actually a felony to go in and photograph or film what's going on in these in these uh factory farm operations and slaughterhouses and whatnot, and uh, you, you can talk about it, you know, in the context of global warming, and not violate the ag gag laws. But if you identify a particular company that is a malefactor, you could be in trouble. So, Fred, I'm with you. I, I think that uh, you know we need to do something about this. And and the other part of it is, and this is what the caller who had brought this topic up was saying, was that there are ways to have even animal agriculture that are that are that that don't. Uh, you know th- that don't massively produce carbon uh, pollution if you know you, cows are ruminants right they're, they're designed to eat grass you know to wander around on the plains and eat grass well let them eat grass you know on the plains then you're just recycling current carbon you're not taking fossil fuels and using that to grow soybeans and then feeding the soybeans to the cows and, and having them belch and, and you know and, and all the carbon involved in that whole process and everything else agricultural practices as well as the level of concern. And by the way, and Fred, thank you so much for the call and raising this topic. And by the way, if you cut back on the amount of meat you're eating, you'll be less likely to end up with heart disease, hardening of the arteries, or cancer. These things are all tied to high levels of meat consumption, kidney disease, I mean, there's a, a, a obesity, there's a bunch of problems associated with, with the American diet's high level of meat consumption. John in uh, Los Angeles, listening on KPFK. Hey, John, what's up?
7: I come from a very Republican family, and I've kind of been separated since my mother died because I really don't fit in. But recently I've been able to contact my younger members, and I'm trying to explain to them how the Republican Party's not their friend, that libertarianism Mm -hmm. that's taken over. And I'm sending your Monopoly book to them and the oligarchy book, and I write email them, and I got back this reply I don't want my taxes to be, pay for immigrants to go to school free. There's two issues there. What should our government be doing to help these Central American countries? And two, the taxes that you talk about during Reagan's administration going up for middle class are you talking about property taxes and? Yeah, he, do- he
5: doubled it's Social down. Security, but he also, in- he also increased taxes on average working people. There were a couple, I'd have to go back and look at the series of them, but there were a couple of very, very large, I mean, big bite tax cuts, taking it from 74% down to 25%. And then Reagan had to raise taxes back up again because there was such a shortage of revenue coming into the Treasury that I think when he left, it was in the high 20s or low 30s. And the majority of those tax increases were on average working people. It's... And frankly, hard to Google this stuff because there are so many right-wing websites that have been funded by right-wing billionaires saying the opposite or confusing the issue. Mostly they just, you know, rely on confusion. (laughs) That, 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 you know, finding a good type piece. But uh, David K. Johnson has written about this extensively. I've written about it. It shouldn't be too hard to find. It just will take some time to get the actual thing. But the two questions, the two points would be, and use the word tax bracket rather than tax rate, because what we're talking about is the top tax bracket, which your children or grandchildren will never pay into it, you know, unless they end up making tens of millions of dollars a year. When that top tax bracket was above 50%, it created a, a strong and vibrant middle class. And also, you know, it, with regard to the, the Central American refugees, why do we have Central American refugees on our borders? Because Reagan went into Honduras and El Salvador. Reagan was running death squads in El Salvador. He, was, he disrupted the governments of, El, of uh, Honduras and Guatemala and empowered the right-wing death squads in Guatemala as well, who are still active. This all goes back to Reagan. Before the Reagan administration, that region relatively was peaceful. You had uh, the uh, so-called communist uprising of Daniel Ortega and company. But, But basically, had Reagan not messed with Central America, we wouldn't have refugees on our border right now. And if Reagan hadn't dropped taxes on rich people and raised taxes on working people, we would have a strong middle class.
7: I mean, where did you write about the taxes? that you said you wrote about um, I'm
5: pretty sure you'll find that in my book, Screwed, that I wrote back in 2005. Um, but that's still probably one of my best books on these topics. Um, okay. I don't think that any of the hidden history books specifically talk about taxes. That, that would be a good one. I should add that to it. But uh, screwed is all about that. Martha Got to Run. Thanks a lot for the call. Alan in West Palm Beach, Florida. Hey, Alan, uh, you've got uh, Trump uh, just, you know, came, uh, I guess the town West Palm Beach is Palm Beach is next to West Palm Beach, right? You're next door to the town where Trump lives. And they're saying now that Melania walked away from him when the after the plane landed. And uh, the, the, the lawyers are saying that she could pull $50 million out of the divorce settlement. Anyhow, what, what's on your mind today, Alan?
6: Uh, Question. It's been going on for almost 14 years now. We saw what happened with the post office and the way it was handled during this last election. Now that we have the House and the Senate and we have a Democratic president in the White House, are we going to get rid of the Tom DeLay regulations regarding uh, the post office putting hundreds of millions of dollars aside for a pension plan for employees 75 years down the road? Do we have the power to get rid of that, that?
5: Well, Congress has the power to get rid of that, and I I hope they do. I'm with you, Alan, and it should be at the top of the list. The other thing that we need to do is figure out a way to dislodge this Postal Board of Governors and Louis DeJoy, the Postmaster General. They are all still in place, and, uh, you know, I believe that they're 10-year terms, and, um, you know, which is not a good thing because it's a semi-autonomous organization. And... uh, I, you know, it'll be a good question to bring up the next time we have a member of Congress on, because I don't know exactly what Congress is trying to do about this, but I'm with you, Alan. Good one. On the line with us for our progressive town, national town hall meeting here today is U.S. Congressman Ro Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A. He's he's a vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. His website, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna. Uh, He represents the 17th District of California in the U.S. House of Representatives, Congressman Khanna. Welcome back to the program. Quick question. Uh, Last time you were on, I asked you if that uh, uh, accept in cases of impeachment phrase in the uh, uh, clause that authorizes presidents to issue pardons had any application to today's circumstances? Were you able to find anything out about that?
11: We asked uh, the congressional research uh, for an answer, and they they do not know. I mean, they think it hasn't been adjudicated at the uh, Supreme Court. So I was under. Uh, unable to get an answer from the the folks who do the uh, congressional research for us
5: and uh, thank you for asking though it's it's good to check that stuff out and uh I'm, you know before we start picking up phone calls i'm wondering what's on your mind right now what are the things that you want people to know about and bring to their attention and uh, or perhaps even ask them to do something about
11: well I, mean, I i think it's a a new day obviously for the country and uh, we're going to have to deliver now fast in improving people's lives the the big uh, a challenge ahead of us is uh, getting the COVID relief package uh, passed. Uh, President Biden with $1.9 trillion is actually uh, quite a good uh, start. I mean, it has uh, the earned income tax credit, child tax credit, $15 uh, minimum wage. The, the key is that we actually uh, get this up past the finish line and we uh, pass it and not uh, try to chase uh, Lisa Murkowski's vote or Susan Collins' vote and have some uh, watered down version passed. And so I've been working uh, with Bernie Sanders and Warren Gannell. Bernie Sanders uh, has a very critical role. He chairs the Budget Committee in the Senate. And the argument is that we have got to pass this through reconciliation, including the $15 minimum wage, which you could easily do. I uh, don't want to go too long, but as you remember, Bernie Sanders and I had stopped Bezos Act, where we said if Amazon didn't pay uh, $15, they would be taxed. And you could do the same thing for every company in the country. You could say, if you don't pay $15, uh, you will be taxed for the differential, which is the type of tax increase that could pass with 50 votes through reconciliation. So, the bottom line is, what we need is to, to say, we've got to do everything possible to get this $1.9 trillion through reconciliation and not dilute it.
5: God bless you guys. I, it, is, uh, it is such a critical time. Well, uh, let's pick up phone calls here. Uh, Peter in Dothan, Illinois, or Alabama, excuse me. Peter, you're on the air with Representative Khanna. Uh,
4: thank you for taking my call, call Congressman Khanna. And uh, first of all, I like listening to your tone, halls, and you come up, uh, across very clear and to the point, and it's understandable. So thank you for that. Uh, Thank you, Peter. I, would think, I, I, I was thinking about the children of the border and trying to find their parents. And, you know, I feel that we might know what country they're from. And could we not uh, solicit those countries and offer their parents uh, asylum to come forward? And I would be in favor of offering the parents asylum to come forward to claim their children.
11: Peter, it's a, a good idea I mean the the problem has been uh, that uh, there was no effort uh, made uh, to figure out who these kids were uh, when they were separated uh, I often say I've told people that we have in this country tracked amazon packages better than uh, we tracked those those children and so uh, you your idea is worth pursuing and I'll uh, raise that on the oversight committee. Uh, could we uh, offer uh, asylum? I think the uh, the danger is that a lot of these parents f- uh, fled very uh, difficult circumstances, uh, and it's hard to 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 figure out uh, uh, who they are or or to locate them. But it is a, it is the greatest moral stain of the Trump administration. I, I even more than the insurrection, which is an attack on democracy. I mean to. Uh, to take a, a suffering ch- a child and to impose suffering on, on someone who's just totally innocent, uh, I think is the definition of inhumanity.
5: I have read in a couple of different places that a number, and a not inconsequential number, of these children have also um, been. Been adopted, been put up for adoption. That they went into foster care and then, uh, where they didn't think they could find the parents, they they adopted them out, and that there might even be some Trump-aligned, quote, Christian adoption agencies associated with this process. I don't have any confirmation for that, but I would love to see you guys look into that. Um, you know whether basically the trafficking I mean, just in one these area.
11: children. I mean, Tom, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are a lot of areas where the Trump administration needs to be held accountable, but this is something we cannot uh, rest with. I mean, we've got to investigate this uh, and find out exactly what happened, who ordered uh, these decisions, and of course, try to do everything we can to, to continue to reunite uh, these children.
5: Zach, in North Hollywood, California, you're on the air with Representative Khanna.
6: Good morning, gentlemen. I'd like to talk about green capitalism versus dirty, red, old-fashioned capitalism. And uh, I just, my question, I guess, is do you think it's proper for political figures in public like yourself to actually expose the lie that dirty capital has been masquerading as democracy for 75 years and that it's not really protecting the thought of of free enterprise economy for all individuals. It's really protecting the market schemes, the weapons manufacturers, and the advertising class that support the idea ever since World War II that bombs and strong militaries provide us with national security and peace. And they'll keep telling us that while they're selling us burgers, cars, and designer drugs. Uh, can, Can you speak in public? about the masquerade well i think you raise a very important point about the
11: increase of uh the defense budgets and the amount of money that goes to defense contractors 740 billion dollar budget uh you compare that for example to $100 $100 million is what we spend uh, currently at NIH uh, for an antiviral uh, diagnostic or an antiviral therapy. I mean, can you imagine that? Uh, $200 million and things that could have solved COVID and comparatively $740 billion going to defense contractors. So that needs to be uh, completely reexamined. And it's actually the state that's propping up uh, some of these Uh, Contractors. And I I agree that what we need, in my view, is a a free enterprise system, though, that is based on uh, fairness uh, and that is based on uh, rules uh, of an economy uh, that aren't encouraging uh, things like crony capitalism.
5: Lowell in Salem, Oregon. You're on the air with Representative Kanna.
6: Hi, Tom and Representative Khanna. Um, I have a question about why the Democratic Party uh, has set the uh, minimum wage at $15 an hour as their goal when Representative Katie Porter showed that $16.50 was not enough. It, it seems like we need to uh, keep adjusting our goals as things get delayed.
11: Well, Joe, I, I, I had pointed out in a tweet that uh, worker productivity. If it had, uh, if the wage had kept up with worker productivity, the wage should be twenty three dollars. At which point, Fox News put out an article saying Kata calls for twenty three dollar minimum wage. And I-, I actually did. I said, let's first get to fifteen dollars with inflation adjusted. But I agree with you that uh, we shouldn't stop at fifteen dollars. Certainly, in certain areas like the Bay Area, uh, fifteen dollars is. Uh, totally inadequate to live, and certainly in Katie Porter's district, that would uh, be the case as well. And ultimately, we need to work towards having workers get uh, what they earn, uh, that uh, what they uh, deserve, the value they're, they're producing. But we're currently at $7.25. So just getting to $15 is a uh, huge lift. And, and at least let's get that done. Right now, that's not clear whether we're going to be able to do
5: yeah, it. One, one step at a time here. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Norma, you are on the air with Congressman Connor.
2: Thank you, Tom. Representative Connor, I have heard a rumor that I find very disturbing, that through the years when we bailed out savings and loan and um, Enron and automotive industries and banks during the housing crisis, that we are now going to bail out the health insurance industry. Uh, so that they do not go bankrupt. This I find very disturbing because then we would still be paying double. We'd pay for bailing them out and pay, and then paying for premiums. Wouldn't it be better if we had the corporations, 50 or more employees, pay a double contribution to Medicare, the companies, and expand Medicare for all so that no matter where somebody works, they would be covered and we would not have to worry about people being ill. We cannot afford to keep bailing out people and never bail out the mayor. We can't afford to keep bailing out these companies and never bail out the people. When is it our turn, sir?
11: Well, Norma, I completely agree with you in terms of your analysis that it makes economic sense to have Medicare for All. Uh, both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have shown this. Actually, the, the, the secret that people don't tell you is that the CEOs of big corporations rather have Medicare for All and pay a corporate tax to have guaranteed coverage uh, than uh, having continued escalating premiums, which are going into uh, health insurance companies that are a total rent-seeking suck on our economic productivity It's putting our manufacturers at a disadvantage. It's putting companies at a disadvantage. And, of course, uh, people uh, are having to pay an arm and a leg for this insurance. I've not heard anything about bailing out national health insurance. That, that said, You know, one of the things we will be looking at is increasing the ACA subsidies, because families can't afford premiums. And what progressives have insisted on is, before we give more money to families to afford insurance, it's going to go into the pocket of the national health insurance companies, private health insurance companies. We need to take steps towards Medicare for All, expanding Medicare, so we're not just continuing to perpetuate a system where private insurance is profiting.
5: Eric in Des Plaines, Illinois, you're on the air with Representative Kana.
11: Hi, gentlemen. I was just curious. Back in the 90s, during the Clinton era, uh, I was part of the program. We uh,
10: rehearsed with paramedics across the U.S. getting inoculations out to people in case there was some type of crisis such as we're facing now. And all, now all of a sudden, we're just, you're, it, it seems like the government's just ignoring
4: almost a third of a million medical people that could help inoculate people.
11: President Biden, even yesterday, made a comment that they're going to have to hire 100,000
10: more people just to get inoculations out. You already have those people sitting there waiting to help and do something.
11: Eric, it's a good suggestion. I mean, we have to figure out how we mobilize the the resources of Uh, the federal government to get uh, people vaccinated. Uh, The the challenge is Trump literally had no plan, no distribution plan, no mobilization plan. I mean, he didn't even invoke the Defense Production Act that Bernie Sanders and I called for eight months ago. Uh, And on day one, President Biden did that for the production capability. So I think we have to give the administration 30 days at least to come up with a plan of distribution and who they can mobilize and the personnel they can mobilize. Ron Klain, who's the chief of staff, uh, led the Ebola response. He's actually very competent. Now, if 30 days from now there are still issues, then I think we all need to, to chime in. But they're literally starting from scratch. So I think we have to give them at least a few weeks.
5: Joe in Cupertino, California, here on the air with your member of Congress. I just wanted to give a shout out real quick to Hank Aaron. I'm just an old fan of his, and I'm kind of
4: jealous because we got Merkley and Me Wyden in Oregon. And I only have uh, Diane, and now I have uh, Mr. Uh, uh, the, new, the new senator, per, uh, Padilla. Padilla. But. Uh, anyway i called today oh and i another thing is i can't get this name off of the tip of my tongue Kristen nielsen we need to go find her and find out what happened to the kids but that's a whole another topic i wanted to see if congressman Connor could embellish on his proposition or a uh, health house resolution 5010 in response to this pandemic i mean i'm a californian and oregon i know it's got health care and so does washington If all three of our states were to combine together, I think we could put a real dent in the pandemic at 4,000 people a day dying before Washington decides to respond to this pandemic that's out here on the left coast. It's just amazing to me that, you know, we sit here and we
11: wonder what
5: Let, we let's get the we response joe I, I only have 30 seconds left here congressman
11: 5010 basically would give states the ability to get a federal waiver and put medicare and medicaid dollars towards getting a single payer system and that would allow states like california or oregon to to do this people keep saying well, vermont tried single payer and it didn't work well it didn't work because they weren't allowed to use their medicaid or medicare dollars to put single pairs so a federal waiver would fix that issue
5: is there a name for your Bill 5010? It's the uh, State-Based Health Act. Got it. So if people want to call their members of Congress. Ed in Roselle, Illinois, you're on the air with Representative Connor.
10: Yeah, Congressman, uh, Fox News and the Internet are not going to disappear, so I'm wondering if you would be willing to sponsor legislation that would require media, media literacy being taught at every grade level in our public education, something along the lines of Finland. Finland started doing this in 2015, and now my understanding is they are ranked number one in the world for their citizens to differentiate between facts, opinions, and BS. Uh, Tom put really, money no, in that's politics at number one. I would put this at, at number one B.
11: You know, it's a fascinating idea. In fact, uh, as uh, Tom knows, I've been writing a book about uh, digital platforms, and I'm going to research this. I didn't know this about Finland because I call for digital literacy, but I haven't looked at Finland's uh, program. So thank you for that uh, excellent suggestion, and I'll look at it, and we'll see if we can get uh, legislation. But I completely agree with you on digital literacy, and it's worth studying Finland. This is why I love these town halls. I always get some good ideas from from your uh, uh, listeners, Tom.
5: Yeah, I just learned that myself just now. We, we have some of the smartest listeners in the world. Uh, Philip in Island Pond, Vermont, you're on the air with Representative Khanna.
10: Yeah, my question for you, Ro Khanna, is that uh, I wish that the progressives and the Democrats in general would do a better job uh, about educating people about socialism and the different uh, uh, aspects of it. Every time somebody I talk to who votes Republican, they seem to be fixated on that word socialism, and it seems to be the trigger. I know there's a lot of trigger words out there that uh, psychiatrists have told me that they use in propaganda to get people to do things that they don't, they don't wouldn't normally want to do. But the thing that shuts everybody down is once that socialism word comes up and the Republican people, representative or senator, speak it, I've listened to it up here in Vermont. Immediately people shut down. Oh, the Democrats are, are socialists. We don't want those in there. We fought in the wars against socialism. My biggest complaint is, yes, education in schools, I heard the other comments of the other people, those are great, but the propaganda is the most powerful tool on the planet right now to, to persuade people to their ways. And the psychiatrist that I know out' retired to four years said, we can make people do anything, even things they don't want to do, with the techniques we have. And this, is my concern is that the Democrats are still not educating people well enough on the socialism. It just shuts people down completely, uh-huh. instantly.
11: So I, I, I agree with you. And first of all, I don't think uh, we uh, should shy away from embracing a free enterprise and the uh, American dream of starting a business in your garage. Uh, that is It was part of FDR's vision. When people talk about uh, the right to a a job that was part of FDR's uh, second Bill of Rights, they often don't read uh, the full statement. But he talked to a a right to a job, not just in government, but a right to a job uh, in private industry, which back then was in manufacturing or in agriculture. The reality in this country is 85 percent of jobs are in the private sector. And what we need to make sure is that people have the choice. If they want to go into public service or government or civil service, like I have chosen to go into they should have that option. but if they want to go into the private sector, they should have that option. and the Democrats believe we need to equip people with the tools to uh, fulfill their uh, potential. No one is talking about the government takeover and uh, having government uh, uh, run uh, you know your gas station. So I think we just uh, we shouldn't shy away from uh, celebrating the free enterprise system as long as those markets are truly open and fair.
5: Carol in Hemet, California. You're on the air with Representative Connor.
1: I am collecting unemployment payments. When I was, when I had to stop working because COVID, um, I was only working 15 hours a week. Therefore, my unemployment check is $98. I was told by the unemployment uh, department That I cannot receive the $300 uh, federal stimulus uh, unemployment money because I don't make $100 in my unemployment check. Huh. So I, I got the initial $600 that they that they were giving, but when it d- went down to $300, they said I was no longer eligible because I wasn't meeting the minimum of $100 and in my unemployment.
11: Sound, you know, that doesn't sound right to me because the legislation, as I understand it, uh, it says that uh, you, you have to get what your uh, last job was at being unemployed or reduced hours uh, uh, under COVID shouldn't uh, penalize you. Uh, so what I would recommend is you reach out to your member of Congress. If, if uh, for whatever reason they're not responsive, you can reach out to our office and we'll make sure we connect you uh, with your member of Congress. And they can uh, pursue this with the, the agency to make sure you're being treated fairly.
5: Teresa in Fort Ludlow, Washington. You're on the air with Representative Kana.
7: Uh, hello, Congressman. Um, I'm calling hi, about. Um, hi. I'm I'm calling about uh, single payer and Medicare for all. I was wondering how we as citizens could push this through because I feel like our healthcare system is so archaic and becoming more expensive every year, and it's really hurting. You know, not only the seniors, but you know, even the younger people are going to be facing this issue in the, in the future.
11: Teresa, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's hurting people because of the medical costs, because of bankruptcies, and it's hurting people, even those who have insurance, because many of them are not getting the cure they need uh, because doctors are not in network or they don't want to pay the extraordinary co pays or the out of pocket costs. We need uh, Medicare for All, and the biggest thing you can do is uh, help us continue to build co-sponsors. We have about uh, 120 co-sponsors in the House. Let's make sure we get more Democrats on board. Let's make sure we get more senators, Democratic senators on board. And then when there is going to be a debate about fixing the ACA, let's make sure part of the debate includes a vote for Medicare for All, a vote to expand Medicare. Uh, and it's only going to be citizen activism that can take on the special interests of the insurance
5: industry. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. You're on the air with Representative Kana.
12: Uh, thank you, Tom. I have uh, two uh, suggestions for uh, legislation. The first one is a constitutional amendment. I think we need to amend the president's powers, uh, pardoning powers, with an amendment To require 51 votes in the Senate for a pardon, it requires 51 votes to put a judge on the federal bench, it requires 51 votes for the president to (laughs) seat his cabinet, so why not require 51 votes from the Senate to release someone from federal prison? I think that's reasonable. That would put an end to this uh, long list of last-minute pardons. More importantly, the piece of legislation that could go forward immediately should be done Next week is that the Congress should pass a bill requiring the governors of the states and state legislatures or the citizens of the state to pass math mandates uh, and link it to federal funding, to federal highway funds and, and education funds, not health care funds, please, highway funds and education funds. And that math mandate should stay in place uh, until all vaccine doses are distributed and administered. Otherwise, as people are going to get their doses, they're going to start taking their masks off, and then everyone will be taking their masks off. We need to have everyone with their masks on until the doses are administered. And the states, in this way, if Congress passes a bill, it will not be an executive order that will be seen as being uh, partisan or political. It will be seen as the states can make their choices as to whether they want their highway funds or or not, just like we did with uh, raising the uh, drinking age to 21.
11: Well, both uh, excellent ideas. I mean, I am very sympathetic to amending the uh, Constitution to restrict the presidential uh, power to pardon. Whether it's 51 senators or some other judicial uh, review or something, uh, we do need to restrict it. I mean, the idea originally was that it was similar to a king's power of mercy, and it was supposed to be given... Uh, to folks as a as a sign of mercy and it's obviously not being used by that it was most abused by trump but frankly it's abused by many presidents uh for political cronyism and so uh, i think that's worth looking into Uh, on the mask mandate uh, i i would be uh, supportive of that with states i will say I'm, i'm not sure that's going to get to the cultural issue where even where you have mask mandates It's hardly enforced and people aren't wearing masks. So while I think it can do some good. I think the broader issue is how we change the culture of getting people to wear masks.
5: David in San Francisco, you're on the air with Representative Kana.
10: If you remember just before the uh, 2016 election, it was said that uh, climate scientists had said that the Earth really only had three years before the tipping point. And uh, now we've gone four years. And uh, so I'm just really hoping that uh, there's some global warming legislation that's going to make a difference. And seeing how we're coming out of a lot of weird propaganda with the Trump campaign and the GOP, um, I wonder if uh, using the expression stewards of the earth would help uh, you know, sway some of those uh, so-called Christians into actually doing some uh, stewardship of the earth.
11: Well, I think both are uh, very key points. Uh, as you know, President Biden has said $2 trillion on uh, both climate change uh, action. That could take uh, a huge dent. I mean, we could have massive investment in solar and wind and battery plants. One of the things I've proposed is there's this institution – the federal financing bank uh, you should look into it your listeners should look into it basically they could loan or take equity uh, in uh, some of our companies to start creating factories for battery storage for electric vehicles for solar plants and let's reindustrialize uh, america go have president biden out in all the different states talking about bringing jobs back and uh, helping solve uh, climate change so i think we need something creative and bold innovative Uh, like that. Uh, And in terms of your view of faith-based communities, I I do think we need to expand the language of how we talk about uh, climate change uh, so that we talk about the stewardship of the land, stewardship of the planet, uh, and make it inclusive and get get stakeholders in faith-based communities to
5: be part of it. Jeff in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Rep. Connor.
9: Good morning, Tom and Congressman Khanna. Thanks for the town hall. It's always a privilege. Uh, So Congressman Khanna, uh, I believe it's become abundantly clear this week, had we not voted out Trump, this virus would have continued ravaging the country for years to come. Um, As it is, we're in a race to get the pandemic under control before uh, a variant emerges that's resistant to the current vaccines. So Congressman, given this heightened Given this heightened state of emergency, shouldn't it be incumbent upon the federal government more than ever to guarantee food, housing, and health care to all Americans? And isn't that why your 2000 a month direct payment payments and Bernie's proposal to expand Medicare to everyone for the duration of the pandemic, both of these are still vitally needed? Thank you, Congressman.
3: Jeff,
11: I completely agree with you. Look, historically in our country, when you have had crisis, when you have had natural disaster, we have always had the government step in. And that's because we have said that is clearly something that is beyond the control uh, of individuals. Now, some of us believe that there's structural economic factors that uh, make a lot of hardship beyond an individual's control. But certainly no one can argue that someone today, because of the pandemic, who's lost their job, who can't uh, make ends meet, no one can argue that it's their fault. That's the time where the government is supposed to step in. And it is, in my view, unconscionable that we have not provided. Provided uh, direct aid, uh, monthly aid uh, to families, and health care. We can do it. The Fed is sitting on a seven trillion dollar liability, which they have for corporations. Where's the aid for ordinary Americans?
5: Amen. Charles in Atlantic City, New Jersey, you're on the air with Representative Connor.
8: I just had one simple question. I, as a progressive myself, are you aware of any legislative actions currently on the boards to um, uh, to get? Washington, D.C., and also Puerto Rico uh, to be considered for statehood. Thank you.
11: Charles, it's part of the House bill. The House uh, uh, will, will, will pass it at least for Washington, D.C., and many of us believe it should be passed for Puerto Rico. Uh, and then we need to do it while we control the Senate. Uh, you know, it does, it's a rare moment where you have the presidency, the Senate chamber, and the House chamber, uh, and this is the time that we need structural reform.
5: Yeah, but they're mostly white people, and the, the subtext of the welfare crime thing is typically black people. I mean, that, that uh, over and over again, I, that's what I keep hearing. Um, anyhow, Congressman Conner, I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> we're out of time. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Tom. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much Thank for dropping you. by. You've been listening to Tom Hartman.